Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. At Keystone Elder Law, we do try to be the shield that protects the middle class from the costs of getting older. And those costs can be financial, but just as often, they are emotional. And our work at Keystone Elder Law is geared toward estate planning, preserving your savings, getting through declines in health with guidance on care options, and generally having a seamless plan for what happens if you become incapacitated or when you pass away. But legal planning for the financial challenges that that come in the later years of life or for special family dynamics only goes so far. Inevitably, we all lose people close to us. We all go through significant, often unsettling changes in our role in the family. Many, many people lose their independence, their control over aspects of their lives, and the pain of this loss can be overpowering. My guest today is an expert on this subject, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while because this is so pervasive in really just the whole population, but it comes up an awful lot when you're an elder law attorney and you're dealing with people at various stages of the second half of life. My guest today is Lori Peters. Lori is a licensed grief counselor, trauma specialist, and the owner of Starfish Counseling. You can find her on the on the uh, internet at starfishcounseling.biz. Lori is also the author of the book, Be Still and Be Bold, 31 Meditations for Trauma Survivors, as well as the forthcoming book, yes. Writing Through Grief. So you can, you can find her online at starfishcounseling.biz. Lori, thank you for being here today. I think what you're going to share with your experience and your insights is going to be incredibly helpful to a lot of listeners. Well, thank you, Patrick, for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. As am I. So, you know, I was looking through a number of materials that, you know, both you and I have talked about, but also what's available on your website, starfishcounseling.biz. And and one topic that comes up that I, I was really interested to talk about is something that you call anticipatory grief. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? That is a popular topic. I actually, on the side, aside from being a counselor, I have a podcast on grief. And this episode that I did um, early on that has the most downloads. So I know this is a very, very popular topic and one that a lot of people are curious about. So anticipatory grief is like the grief process itself, but it occurs before the actual loss event. And it can apply to a death-related expected loss or a non-death loss as well. Okay, so a non- so obviously if, if there's someone who has a chronically ill spouse, they know where this is heading. Maybe it's yes. a terminal situation. So there could be anticipatory grief going on there, or it could be uh, a non-death loss, I suppose, um, uh, you know, the loss of what a job or yes. the loss. So all kinds of losses or significant mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, go ahead. And it's not. And the reason why that people get confused as to what they're actually experiencing is because this process is not really discussed. 
And um, when you mention, well, you're grieving, that kind of throws people off because people associate grief with death, with loss. But actually, it can occur before the event even takes place. Not to mention, it seems that uh, not only do they think of a death leading to grief, and then you grieve after the death, but also that that's sort of, I think, when most people expect to either receive or to give uh, some level of support. That's when you recognize the loss. But you, you, this whole concept means there's loss. Bef- there's the feeling of grief before the loss yes. occurs. Yes. So what? So it, as long as we're breaking it out broadly, there's there's this concept of grief before the loss occurs. It, just so I'm clear, what are some of the other circumstances where it's not somebody passing away, but somebody might be experiencing grief? And I I'm, I ask this question so people can recognize in their own lives or the, mm-hmm. not only themselves, but people they interact with, and then maybe try to understand behavior they're seeing or thinking that they are having because they now can label it as something mm-hmm. that, that is a real phenomenon. Well, you mentioned one, a possible loss of a job. If you know that you're going to be laid off or fired, you go through a process that involves you know, what would happen if you actually did lose your job. What is that experience like? Um, you know, when I think of anticipatory grief, I also think of caregiving, um, whether it's for someone who has a terminal illness or not, there is a process that they go through that perhaps is glossed over because all the attention is focused on the, excuse me, the person who's receiving the care. Um, another example would be, um, you know, anticipation, expectation of a medical issue doesn't have to be terminal but something that is serious and life impacting and the process that you go through of realizing, okay, I have this issue. What is the impact on me now? And aside from the loss of health, perhaps there's also the loss of life, um, way of life, lifestyle, um, you know, loss of hopes, dreams, expectations, all of that can be involved in the anticipatory grief process. And does it have to be, Real or just perceived? I, I suppose if someone is having, uh, going through a health challenge, maybe they have to have a significant procedure. There, I, I can I can totally follow what you're saying. They're playing out missed dreams or opportunities that they mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. put off, and and now they're they're thinking they're never going to uh, to be able to experience those things. Does it actually actually have to be true for them to be grieving? I mean, what if they? They do have those opportunities, but they just believe that they're they're losing all of that and they right. start to go through the grieving process. I think that needs to be validated. Um, you know, however you define the loss is however you define the loss. Um, you know, what you experience, your thoughts and feelings, your emotions, they are valid and true for you. And that needs to be acknowledged. Sure. And with the loss of a job or uh, the loss of some uh, former security, I guess, any sort of event, um, then then people are not feeling that, you know, we all have some basic need to feel safe. Yeah. And, and, and any sort of coping mechanism, whether it's healthy or not, is usually some attempt to feel safe. And so I suppose the grieving process is, you know, when there's um, a, a change in circumstances coming, somebody's going to, to feel unsafe because of financial insecurity. That's yes. a pretty core... Yes wound for people to to feel that where they go mm-hmm. to lack of mm-hmm. safety. There are a lot of unknowns, um, either relation to this type of phenomenon or something else. Uh, you know, change is hard for people um, because of that um, concept of what's next, what's going to happen. And it can be scary. So to not 
have an avenue to acknowledge what you're going through um, can make things a lot harder for you. And I want to try to, I always try to look at the flip side of these things. So if there's such a thing as anticipatory grief, let's Mm -hmm. say you're a caregiver for your spouse, uh, you see the end is getting a little bit closer all the time, and you start going through this grieving process uh, in advance of the loss event, the loss of your spouse. Is there a flip side, though? Is there a positive where this is an opportunity? I, I do try to look at, at you know, every mm-hmm. problem as just being the gift wrapping for an opportunity on the inside. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Wh- is there an opportunity in anticipating a loss event? Yes, I would believe so. Um, I believe the opportunity is in the availability of presence. Knowing that the end is coming makes you more mindful about the moments you're having now with your loved one. So to be present with them, to cherish the time that you do have with them, to prioritize things so you spend as much time with them as possible, I think there's a gift in that. Sure. And the opportunity, if it is if it is possible under the circumstances, to have conversations that haven't been explicitly yes. had, to mm-hmm. uh, reconcile any differences, to express gratitude yes. in, a, in a way that maybe it never has been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think about this topic, too, anticipatory grief in conditions like Alzheimer's uh, or, or maybe Parkinson's, where there's a progressive irreversible decline and especially with dementia where the person can't their identity is lost before their their physical body gives up and and what it must be like to go through that especially as the spouse maybe of many decades and now you know wife has been tending to husband with dementia now the husband doesn't recognize wife anymore maybe Mm -hmm, worse mm -hmm, the husband mm -hmm. thinks the nurse's aide is is the the wife and and That's got to be sort of traumatic on top of yes. what is already and, and that's going part on. of the anticipatory grief process, you know, having that loss of recognition. Someone you've been married to for 50 plus years no longer recognizes you um, and the devastation that ensues from that, too. Right. Well, this is we're going to go deeper into anticipa- anticipatory grief and other types of grieving issues in this episode. My guest today is Lori Peters. She is with Starfish Counseling, starfishcounseling.biz. She is the author of Be Still and Be Bold, 31 Meditations for Trauma Survivors, as well as a forthcoming book called Writing Through Your Grief. This is the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. We'll be back in a bit here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley. My guest today is Lori Peters with Starfish Counseling. You can find her on the web at starfishcounseling.biz. She's the author of Be Still and Be Bold, 31 Meditations for Trauma Survivors, as well as the forthcoming book, Writing Through Your Grief. Before the uh, break, Lori, you were talking about uh, anticipatory grief and the the process a person goes through before the actual loss, whether it's a, a death or, or a loss of a job or some other change or loss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about a situation that, that uh, at Keystone Elder Law, of course, I encounter all the time, which is somebody in a family uh, has Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. They have some sort of physical decline that's not going to turn around. And 
the, the, the adult child that I'm speaking with, the, the spouse of this person I'm speaking with is going through an awful lot. And yes. we're, we're trying to uh, at least take the sort of financial uh, scare out of all of it because we can save them an awful lot of money on long-term care costs or we can we can you know explain the levels of care we do have somebody on staff who can who used to work as a, a nurse in that setting so we can do an awful lot but there's still there's an emotional component to being the the family member especially a family caregiver in that setting and maybe talk to me a little more about what anticipatory grief means for those people or what they might mm-hmm. be experiencing okay and maybe there are some listeners who who are going through this right now yes. and and would love to hear your perspective on this so first of all i want to acknowledge that you know um the thoughts and feelings and emotions that you might be experiencing right now i'll give some examples in a moment all those are valid and should be acknowledged and you're not going crazy okay um, I've had a number of clients who have gone through this process. And what I have seen is, you know, actually similar to the post-loss grief process. So say, for example, you have questions, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're sad. Um, you have um, you know, feelings of why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Um, I feel sad because this is happening and I feel like no one is talking to me about it because the focus has shifted from me to the person who's, who's receiving care. All those feelings are valid. And, and in essence, you are grieving. And it's okay to go through this process because you are trying to reconcile not only the situation that you're in presently, but the future, which is your loved one will be passing away soon. So I do want to say here, you know, that process is valid um, and you are not going crazy for this, Okay. Um, having questions is another part of grief. Um, you know, questioning whether, you know, your, cir- your, your particular circumstance, uh, questioning your faith. That's a big one that I come across a lot in my line of work. You know, why is this happening? Has God abandoned me? Or whatever your faith system is. Um, you know, I haven't done anything in my life. Why is this happening to me now? Why is this happening to my loved one? It brings up all sorts of existential type questions, crises, identity issues, that, um, of course, comes up you know, after a loss as well. So I think what I want to say to wrap up on this is your experience is true to you. Only you can define what you're experiencing. And it's not for anyone else to say that it's not real because they feel that it isn't real. Right. Yeah. And I would think that, you know, as I alluded to earlier, when it comes to grieving, you almost expect to reasonably so in our culture to have more support when a loss event has happened. People will console you if you have lost your spouse. People will console you and and show support if you lose a job, a career mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, major if if you lose a pregnancy, if you lose a child, you're you're going to get all kinds of outpouring of support, but when when you know what's coming and you start having those feelings, I think that's where not only do you not get the support, but you get an awful lot of feedback that is probably downright harmful, you yes. know, yes. <laughs> shake it yes. off Definitely. or, you Definitely. know, right. you're going to be fine. Right. You know, you mm-hmm. don't get the actual mm-hmm. support and consoling in the meantime, you just, but, but I think that when you say that people are questioning their faith, they're, they're looking at causes, cause and effect relationships between I was a good person, this, therefore this should not be the result of everything I've been doing. You know, I, I think it 
it gets into things like, um, well, I'm not sure how to frame this, but it's it, if it if it's not cause and effect, it's trying to understand why am I going through this? How do you manage that? What what's the strategy for for reframing the situation in a way that is is not tied up in something that's not going to lead them down the right road. In other words, if they're not mm-hmm. supposed to just ignore it, they're not supposed to shake it off, they're not supposed to um, to not think about it like you deserve this. Of course mm-hmm. not. Nobody deserves it. Mm-hmm. But how do you reframe that then if people are thinking that way? They, they had one understanding of their faith. They had one understanding of how they lived their life and therefore what they should be experiencing now what do you redirect that person to to make make better and or or a healthier sense of the situation well it depends on the situation it depends on their level of faith some people have not had a great relationship with their higher power so um you know i have to gauge that i basically have to meet them where they are i see my role as a guide as opposed to someone who's going to be giving them advice as to how to live Um, I also gauge, you know, where exactly do you stand with your faith? And is it something that you need to consult with a spiritual advisor about? Um, You know, I I understand my scope of practice. And, um, you know, while I do help people in the spiritual realm in that regard, I do understand that there are many nuances that I am not an expert in, so to speak. So um, first, it's helping them acknowledge what they're feeling trying to find out where they are in this um, questioning and then guiding them to a resource that may be helpful, whether it's me or somebody else. That that makes a lot of sense. You're not going to try to become a theological right. master on every uh, religious faith out there. It's just understanding, um, you know, the, where do you need more resources? And if that is mm-hmm. one, maybe that's not one. Maybe they just want to understand uh, whether that's a resource they want to use at all. Um, but getting back to the idea that, you know, that what what people will hear from others when they are anticipating a loss um, is often unhelpful and unlike what the kind of support they will get after a loss. What are some of the myths that you're aware of when it comes to grieving? Because I think I put my finger on one that I see, which is just, oh, you know, you'll be fine. Um, you just you just have to get through this, you right, know, right. just you know, get over it or, you yes, know, and, and I don't know that big every, one actually. Oh, is it? Because <laughs> yes, I didn't know if, if putting it that way was too blunt or, or. No, that, that's accurate. Okay. That's so, accurate. so what are some of the other ones? Uh, you know, that, that is the number one thing, get over it as in, as if grief is an obstacle to be gotten over. Grief is an experience. It's a process that, um, can last your whole life because I equate grief to love. It's become a part of us. So you will always have an aspect of that with you. There is no such thing as getting over something like this because there is no timeline. There's no manual on grief. There's no right or wrong way to to grieve. We each have to have our own process, our own journey. Even though loss is universal, the particular process of grief is unique because we each are unique individuals. That's really interesting that you say that because... One thing that I expected might come up in our conversation about grief and loss is the whole concept of stages because, you know, I, I, I was an undergraduate major in psychology, but mm-hmm. I never went on to, to uh, have experience in training and certificates and uh, in counseling the way you do. But, you know, I do remember Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, yes. who was an expert on on death and dying and in, in a book she wrote, I think she popularized the idea of 
first you'll you'll experience denial, then you'll experience anger, then maybe there's some bargaining mm-hmm. uh, before mm-hmm. depression, and finally acceptance. But what you're saying is, and I I poked around and tried to to get up to speed on some of this before we spoke today. You know, that's not really going to be a defined, you're, you're going to be in this stage for a certain period of time, then Correct. you're going to be in the next stage for a period of time. That's not really an accurate way to describe what everybody across the board will go through. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to this, to talk a little bit more with Dr. Ross. Um, she actually developed her stages of grief for the people who are actually in the act of dying process. It did not pertain to people who were mourning someone. Okay. So... Um, the, the new school of thought on grief is it's not linear. It's very much like a messy ball of yarn that your cat has played with for a while. Um, you know, there are, um, you know, tasks, so to speak, um, t- speaking to um, Dr. Um, William Warden, who believed that there were tasks of mourning that someone who's grieving completes in order to progress through the grieving process. Um so I think there's a lot of confusion there because people think of her work, which was fabulous, but um, it pertained more to people who were dying, the stages that they go through as they reconcile their, their loss. Um, so the, the grief process is very messy, and it is something that is intangible in a lot of ways, and because of that, it leads itself to a lot of confusion and misconception. We're speaking today with Lori Peters of Starfish Counseling, a, an expert on grief and trauma. We'll be back in a moment on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. You're listening to News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley. My guest today is Lori Peters of Starfish Counseling. We're talking about grief. We're talking about loss um, and some of the the misconceptions about each. And before the break, Lori, you were talking about how, although there was some very important uh, groundbreaking work, uh, maybe back in the late 60s even, by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the, the thinking has evolved, and, and although there might be stages for some people who are going through the mourning of an actual loss, mm-hmm. not every type of grief will go through these organized, predictable stages. It's a little yes. messier than that, I think, yes. is how you put it. Yes. So, you know, gr- there is no timeline for grief. Um, you, and as, as such, if some someone, our society is wrapped up, um, there are a lot, there's lots of stigma about grief and death. And because those two topics are so uncomfortable, no one wants to think about it, they will try to project their discomfort on you by rushing through the, the bereavement process. And I think we need to parse out a little bit what's the difference between grief, mourning, and bereavement. Bereavement is the entire process that involves grief and mourning, okay? Grief is the um, emotional process that you go through after a loss and mourning is the manifestation of that process. So your thoughts and emotions, if that makes sense. Um, so so gr- grief is the emotions you go through. Right, but it's the internal mo- process that you undergo. And mourning is how you show it show or it. the yes. things that you do? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's um, it's important to make the distinction because people get the two confused and um, 
again, with the manifestation of emotions, especially, um, there can be a lot of, I don't want to say problems, but for lack of a better word, problems, because people have it in their mind as to how grief should look like. And there is no one way that it should look like. There is no right or wrong way to grieve. There is no manual on grief. And um, there have been many studies about, you know, how different ages grieve. Children grieve differently from adults. Um, Adults grieve differently from teenagers. Men grieve differently from women. So to say that there's only one way to grieve really does a big disservice to all the other populations. And then again, to further differentiate this from the concept of mourning, I was just thinking as you were saying that, that mourning, the expression of grief, that that might just have cultural differences. There are appropriate ways to mourn in one culture that uh, are are not expected or appropriate in another, and and I guess one one uh, if you, an outside viewer of how people mourn in one area might think, well, they don't appear very sad to me, or mm-hmm. they might think, wow, that's mm-hmm. that's some pretty powerful sadness. But it's just the outward expression has a lot more to it than than what the person on the inside is feeling. Yes, yes, and. Western culture specifically has really strict rules about what's appropriate or not for grief. Um, you know, usually it's the typical, you know, get beyond the one year. After that, you can go on a living. It's like, well, that's not really the case. Um, you know, men are not supposed to show their emotions. Well, that's that's not true either. And, um, you know, men shouldn't talk about the grief. And like, well, they should because it really impacts them. And more so because of the cultural and social stigma about how men think and process emotions. Yeah, you've just ticked off a number of the sort of questions that I wrote for myself before coming into this conversation because you hear things like, the first year is always the hardest. Well, maybe it was for the person saying it, but it won't be for the person hearing it. You know, Mm -hmm. the first year Mm -hmm. might be completely different from person to person. And you hear things like, time heals all wounds. That's a, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how much time, and and mm-hmm. and it, what's going on in that time? And there's no there's no end point, as you said earlier. Right. Right. It, it's just going to be a different experience across time, maybe. So from person to person, um, and I'm glad you brought up the difference between, or not lack of difference between men and women, because there are these stereotypes. Women are are stereotyped as being more expressive of emotion than men and and men are supposed to uh keep it keep it bottled, bottled up inside I suppose but if you you need look no further than those coming back from uh military conflicts around the world in the last couple of decades or or longer last you know 50 100 years and you know they had an awful lot of grief yes and and it didn't manifest itself well when it wasn't when when they were expected to do one thing or it mm-hmm, wasn't mm-hmm, appropriately mm-hmm, processed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I'm thinking of PTSD. Right. Um, you know, that wasn't really a thing in the mainstream until the early 80s. That one actually became a diagnosis and something that needed to be discussed, primarily because of the stigma. First of all, we were coming off the Vietnam War, which was a very, you know, controversial um, event. And then the cultural and social stigma of men not being allowed to express what they've experienced. You know, and another thing that seems to come up is, um, and I don't know if this is maybe a more modern, uh, low attention span, social media type thing, but you, you, you hear, 
I don't know, advice that seems to go along the lines of distract yourself or, you know, don't focus on it, you know, and and just, you know, pour yourself into something else. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. is that at all a coping mechanism for for grief that that is to be advised? I would say no. That's the short answer. (laughs) Um, I believe grief is a form of energy. It needs to be processed, um, needs to be brought up out of you so you can figure out how to navigate through it. To trying to suppress it is not the way to go. Um, it doesn't matter how you try to express it. It does matter that you do. Um, if you do not do that, I can tell you that it can lead to a host of other issues, um, physical, spiritual, mental as, w- as well. And, um, you know, again, you know, we each have a different way to express our grief, but we need to express it because it is a process that needs to be reconciled. Your body and your mind are going through the hard work of reconciling loss. And you can't do that without some sort of expression of emotion, without some sort of support, um, without some sort of creative outlet um, to, to let all that out. Boy, I, and I, you get my uh, thoughts going here on this of why do why does this exist? How did we evolve to have grief as an experience that that even affects us physically and it affects us in other areas of life? And I don't know what thoughts you might have. I might be asking an awful lot in a in a conversation like this, but uh, we are social animals. You know, we 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 are interconnected. I try to remind people that all the time if we're dealing with a long-term care scenario and you can tell some it's weighing on someone that they're not as mobile as they used mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. They're they're, you know, that's that's hitting them hard. And I try to remind people that even when you were mobile, you weren't as independent as you thought you were. You were always interdependent. And and I try to gain, you know, not that I'm a professional counselor of any by any stretch, but, um, you know, going for some sort of uh, use this as an opportunity to be connected with your family and ex- and enjoy that experience but or, or you know, a, a level of acceptance. But what are you trying to uh, guide a person toward what is the resolution of the grief in other words if if they feel a total void in their connectedness with other people how does that get processed or or what is the end goal of, of grief if we don't even if we don't understand why we have it as a you know as a species what what mm-hmm, can we do mm-hmm. as the uh, as a goal well i think grief is a process that needs to be navigated to the point that you are able to live with the pain without being defined by it. Um, We all reach a crossroads where we have to decide, am I going to sit and let this pain dictate the rest of my life? Or am I going to use it in some way or find some meaning in some way that I can move forward? Um, A lot of the work that I do kind of borders on the existential. (laughs) I do help clients try to find a purpose after loss especially if it's a really significant loss, like a loss of a partner, um, a loss of a parent or you know, whatever, if they were a caregiver or whatnot. And a lot of our work involves, you know, what, what, who are you now after this loss? What will you do now? What is your purpose? Did you know, before, was that purpose something that you had prior to this event? Or is it something that we can work on post-loss? Especially important as as I work with people who, you know, their purpose almost becomes being the caregiver to a spouse. Their mm-hmm. their their relationship as spouses evolved over time for a very long time. But when 
especially with somebody who has dementia, you're there all the time and it's all consuming and probably to an unhealthy extent on a number of levels for the the caregiver giving the uh, the spouse giving the care. Mm -hmm. Um, But when when that is then lost, um, that they're not in that role anymore, that it's the adjustment has got to be significant because it's been their ingrained way of being. Right. They can develop an, um, an identity crisis. Right. You know, not knowing, okay, who am I now that I'm not Joe's caregiver yeah. anymore? And, you know, I, I, I've spoken to now two people just today alone who um, it wasn't a, a spouse, it wasn't a human being, it was a pet, and, and not to, to downplay that as, as well. The, the, the role that that, the, that emotional uh, connection plays in our life can be mm-hmm. rather significant as well. Um, so just to, that just goes to show you how broad this grieving can go. But we'll be back after a break, and we're going to go a little bit more into grief and loss on today's episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. You are listening to News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. My guest today is Lori Peters of Starfish Counseling. Find her on the web at starfishcounseling.biz. She's the author of Be Still and Be Bold, 31 Meditations for Trauma Survivors, and the forthcoming book, Writing Through Your Grief. Lori, before the break, you were going through a number of uh, myths or misconceptions about grieving that you encounter and sort of... Uh, redefining what the way people should be thinking about that. Were there any others that I that I have failed to ask about? Uh, well, there's a few more. Let's see. One of them is that, let's see, we've gone through, recap quickly. Grief, there's no timeline for grief. People grieve differently. You know, how I grieve will not necessarily be how you grieve. Um, I think another one is that um, anxiety, grief and anxiety, that's that's a real big myth is that anxiety is not a part of grief. It very much is a part of grief. Um, there are a lot of people who do have questions. What what now? What do I do now? What if? And I think we just need to acknowledge that that, that is a thing. Um, I could do a whole podcast on the other myths. We could be here all day, but th- <laughs> those are the core ones I think we've touched on. Right. And I really especially um, am glad that you you pointed out the difference between the outward manifestation of mm-hmm. grieving and what's going on inside just because, you know, grief is not necessarily just a, a strong form of sadness. Sadness seems to be, you know, a pretty common emotion uh, when it comes to grief, but there could be other emotions going on. As you just said, it could be anxiety. It could be, um, it could be anger. It could be a number of emotions yes. and not everybody's going to show that the same way. And, and yet they might be grieving all the same Mm-hmm. And and so, especially when you bring up something like anxiety, which has very much a physical component to it, let's go through what what going through grieving actually does to the body and the mind, because it is it's pretty significant, and yes. I don't think this is yes. obvious to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say that grief feels like you've been hit by a Mack truck several times. <laughs> it is a very, very exhausting process. And a lot of my clients have told me, I, I just don't realize, I didn't understand how much this is taking out of me. You have to understand that you are being involved in a process of energy. Your mind and your body are working together to process the fact that you have lost something. 
And it is like trauma. It does impact you. So you're going, if you actively through the grieving process, especially in the early days, this is some of the symptoms, if you want to call it, the, call it that, um, that you will see. One of them is extreme fatigue. You will be exhausted. You will have memory lapses, brain fog. That is a thing in grief. Um, you will have either wanting to eat a lot or not wanting to eat. Um, what else will you have? Let's see. You will feel like confused. You will feel confused, um, especially as you see the world around you spinning and wondering, well, why doesn't everybody else understand what I'm going through? Why is the world going on? And I am here devastated. So there that, there's that component. You will also feel as if no one else supports you or understands you. Grief can be a very alienating and lonely experience. Again, you know, as I said, while loss is universal, the particular journey of grief is unique because we each are individual people. So while um, you know, you've had this devastating loss, you may feel like no one understands you, that you can't talk about it to anybody because you think that they don't, can't possibly relate to the experience that you've just had. Um, what else can I say about grief? There's a lot I can say about grief. Well, some of what you just said, just, you know, re- even I'm, I'm going back in my mind to client meetings I've had where let's say uh, husband and wife, maybe there's even adult children in the room to be supportive and there's a dementia diagnosis and it's, it's starting to get a little obvious, let's say with husband and wife does not have dementia. And yet you can tell the, I, I don't know what words I was putting to it, maybe worry um, you know, and I'm going through, let's just make sure that estate planning is where it should be. Let's let's protect any assets that we can protect. But but even when I'm explaining what I think, you know, in the most plain English I can possibly come up with, here here is how this works. We do this. It protects this. Uh, so even if you have a higher care need down the road, you're protected, healthier spouse, you're going to be protected, the children will be protected. And I'm trying to break it down into plain terms, but the the spouse going through what I now, from this conversation, understand to be anticipatory grief because mm-hmm. they're seeing the their, their spouse of so many years slipping away and they're fearing all of the things that, that are going to happen with their changing role, with with everything that, 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 that will happen in the future— they're, they're just, I could say the most obvious thing. And, you know, this is what we do with a will. And, and they just say, oh, gosh, this is just so overwhelming. Yes. That's, and it's, that's it, it, it looks like, like brain fog, but, but I, I'm struggling in my head in that moment to figure out why would the person ha- have difficulty with this and how am I failing to explain this? But really, it's just being in that scenario, it has very real cognitive impacts on the yes, person. Yes, it does. It does affect the processing, how your brain works, um, your thinking, and how you relate to other people. Um, and, the, and the slightest thing can overwhelm, again, because your body is going through you know, all three processes, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, of trying to come to terms with the loss and the aftermath of that loss. Right. I was doing a little bit of research uh, to get ready for this conversation, and I read about how um, just even on a biological level, the inflammation that happens 
in the body uh, of a grieving person, which can then lead, you know, so uh, if you have some pre-existing condition, that's only going to make it worse. That's going to bring about worse symptoms or, you know, raises blood pressure, which Mm -hmm. if you have any sort Mm -hmm. of clotting problems could, could be a real problem. So um, it seems to be that, that good advice just in addition to everything that you've been talking about might be to check in with your primary care physician and just tend to already existing conditions because that Mm -hmm. could be made worse during the grieving process. You you do bring up a good point. Um, The broken heart syndrome is actually a thing where um, you can can die from that. It might be um, an underlying medical condition that you have and then grief exacerbates it and then causes, you know, serious illness or death. And that that's a valid valid point to bring up. You do need to check in with yourself for self care. Um, one of the first things I ask my client, a new client, when they come in, is you know what is your self care practice look like? And I think it's worth defining what self care is. It's I'm not talking about manicures, pedicures, massages, that type of thing. I'm asking about are you meeting your basic needs? Are you eating when you're supposed to? Are you are you drinking enough water? Are you taking um, time to check in with yourself about how you're feeling moment to moment so you can figure out a plan for the day? So that's that's the first thing that I tackle. What yeah. is your self-care? And I think a lot of what you might be putting your finger on there is there's a difference between doing something that's healthy and escapism, yes. you know, which which you've already said is not going to be helpful. Uh, you know, Ignoring it, tuning out is not going to help, but, but other things can. Um, I don't want to wrap this up without talking a little bit more about your um, your business, Starfish Counseling, because you you are uh, you've devoted a lot of time and energy to understanding grief and understanding trauma, and it just takes so many forms. And people mm-hmm. listening to this show, if they specifically want to listen to the later in life planning show, they might not be aware of. Uh, you know, resources for younger members of their family, you know, even just the loss. Of, I never knew that that there was this resource for loss of of pregnancy, that 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 can be a really heavy subject that you you yes. guide people through. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I started my practice about a year ago and um, I came to the, the counseling field. It's actually my fourth career. <laughs> um, and, you know, through my professional and personal experience, I entered the field of counseling and didn't really understand grief and loss, so I did a lot of research into it. And then I had my own losses. I've had many losses in a, in a short period of time. And I learned that this field, this subfield within the field of counseling, is not, um, is not promoted enough. There are a lot of counselors who think they understand grief and loss, but actually do not. Um, so I, I took the time to take special classes and training and working with a lot of organizations that do do the grief work with all sorts of people. And from that, I developed a niche in it, um, with pregnancy loss, you know, that was more a personal, um, proclivity for my, for me. Um, I've had two pregnancy losses myself and I understand the unique pain that's associated with that type of loss. So um, I feel that um, my specialty is is a calling that I have to help people as much as I can. Well, I can speak from my own observations that uh, in what I do, that there's a growing uh, need for this. There, you know, not only is our population in South Central Pennsylvania an aging population, and so inevitably there will be loss in that form. You know, there's just all of the other untended to losses or or significant changes in life that people go through. 
And I don't know that, especially with the cultural pre-programming, that people are looking for resources like this. But thank you for being here to share these insights because it will have people start looking for the resources. Well, thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate this time together. I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley. We'll see you next time. You're listening to News Radio WHP 580.